You've tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. The future comes, and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall miss no game, withhold no news, report all rumors. I shall wear no jerseys and plead allegiance to no side. I shall live and die on my webpage. I am the word in the darkness. I am the watcher of the TV. I am the megaphone that informs the realms of geek. I pledge my hands and name to the geek's watch. For the geeks and all the geeks to come. Welcome back for another shift on the Geeks Watch. This week we have started a new show, John. We're watching Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams on Amazon Prime. You know, I keep wanting to say electric sheep, but I think that's a whole different thing altogether. Well, I mean, he wrote Blade Runner, right? Yes. Yeah, Blade or so. the short story it's based off of, which is Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Yeah. So maybe that's why? I guess so. I think I also saw that in the back catalog of some adult store sometime. Well, I mean, teach their own. Fair <laughs> uh, yeah, we're we're talking about that. We're talking about this this new show. It's I guess, I guess it's definitely got a, a Black Mirror feel to it. So, uh, and Philip K. Dick has definitely been around a lot longer than uh, Black Mirror. So, we've been enjoying his movies for decades. Uh, like we said. Blade Runner, which was... Was that in the 70s? Uh, that was, was that 82? 83, something like that. Okay. Uh, Total Recall, yeah. Minority Report. Yeah. Per Scanner Darkly. Scanner Darkly. What's the other one that uh, I always think about when I think of Total Recall 2? Uh, what's the 80s one? It's not It's not Running Man. Running Man's not his. You think it's Scanners? Not Scanners. Not Scanning. No, it's not, I'm not thinking of Scanners. That's got a total recall vibe to it. No, it's not so much the total. Just what are what are his other? Do you, do you th- can you think of another one of his movies? Oh man, he's done so many, but like off the top of my head, I can't recall specifically. Yeah, there's there's one that I always associate with Total Recall. Maybe it is Running Man, and I'm just but I know for a fact that that's not. Uh, no, I think Running Man is uh, Stephen King. Is it Stephen King? I want to say it is. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about that. That's one thing I've always wondered is like, how is it that this day and age with our love of 80s stuff right now and the fact that reality TV is still a huge thing, how has someone not developed a Running Man game show? I'm like, equally surprised. I'm like, I'm, I'm sure you can't do the, I, I know you can't do the killing part, but like do simulated killing like with, uh, with like nerf weapons or something or, or uh, you know, just make it kind of grab you if your person gets captured then they're dead kind of thing well like paintball i guess I, you, you <laughs> could do paintball or or i mean it, i don't with know. like a height like a augmented reality aspect yeah. of it yeah that would be pretty sweet but maybe just the technology is not there yet to make that like well i don't say usable. you wouldn't need to do it like in a, a gamer way or ready player one way just you just have it's it's i, I think of it more of as american gladiators you have a whole bunch of gladiators, and then you have different people, you know, probably people that go through MMA or CrossFit or something, you know, and they 
they go through uh they go uh round by round of trying to get through all these different uh fighters and to eventually get to the end and you have a guy that that plays the uh what was that guy's name roger dorn roger thought no i don't remember what his name was but the guy who's the host of the show who used to be the host of Family Feud a long time ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, his name. But Killian in the show, in the movie, his name was Killian. You have a big, larger-than-life game show host that, you know, sits there and talks to the, the audience members and stuff as as your your runner makes runs through the course. My favorite part of that whole sequence was the old lady that just kept winning more and more prizes like as the, she voted as she she bet on uh yeah on uh schwarzenegger's character which yeah. i can't remember what his name was what was his name was it dutch no that wasn't predator yeah it's predator but yeah his <laughs> she got like the home version of the running man which i'm like how would you play that at home like, uh, it's, a, it's yeah it's some kind of game it's game board or something like that yeah, board game pretty fun uh so here's a complete listing of Philip K. Dick adapted works. You have Total Recall. Okay. The Adjustment Bureau. All right. Screamers. I haven't seen Screamers. Radio. It's actually interesting. It's a bad movie, but it's so well directed, if that makes sense. That like, makes sense. They put a lot of really, really good matte painting and special effect work in it, mm-hmm. but it's it's so terrible at the same time. <laughs> you got Radio Free Al- Albemuth. Oh, that's on uh, uh, Netflix. I've been meaning to watch that. Oh, well, I guess it's one of his works. Then there's Next. Oh, that's, God, really? Yeah. That terrible Nick Cage movie? That, yes. That is a bad movie. That's based on the short story called The Golden Man. Huh. Uh, then you have A Scanner Darkly. Okay. Paycheck. Oh, I love Paycheck. Minority Report. I love Minority Report. Imposter. I love that one, too. That's Vincent, Vincent D'Onofrio is great in that. Yeah, The Crystal Crypt. I don't know that one. Confessions, Dune Barjo. I guess it must have been like a... I don't know what that is. A French adaptation, but it's Confessions of a Crap Artist. Okay. And uh, Blade Runner. And Blade Runner 49 by extension. Hmm. Oh, I guess it was just Road, uh, Running Man then. I always assumed... I guess I always thought Running Man was a, was a Philip K. Dick story, but it wasn't. But I I knew like like for the last like three years that it... Running Man wasn't, but so that's interesting. Yeah, and I remember that it's. Um, I believe it was adapted by from of like a very very simple Stephen King short story, but even he's distanced himself from it because it's so far removed from his original work that he's just like, I don't know why people put my name on it. Like it's, it might as well not be by me. Yeah, like uh, the the it's uh, from what I understand the the short story for Running Man is is very much more nihilistic than than uh than the movie is and uh the guy who uh schwarzenegger's character is based off is like an everyday man like an every 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 man guy well that's also true for um total recall as well i believe he's supposed to be just like a walter mitty type character he's closer to being colin farrell than he is to being uh, yeah basically uh, (laughs) big muscle bound construction worker with a beautiful wife (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's funny. I mean, I think it's funny that we bring up Total Recall because the first episode we watched of of Electric Dreams is, has a, has a lot to do. Or I think has a lot is a lot of similarities to Total Recall. I would say very yeah. If anything, this feels like it is like a readaptation of. Uh, I mean, I guess what what's the the story that Total Recall is based uh, we'll off? We'll of? remember for you wholesale or something like that. Oh, and this one is. Uh, 
uh well i just read it it was real life. the episode called is called real life but it is based off the short oh i get rid of the ad <laughs> uh, exhibit piece uh, it says uh, well we'll get into that when we talk about the episode First thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about uh, Incredibles two. We both saw that movie, yes, so let's uh, let's see let's let's talk about our thoughts. And yes, there are going to be spoilers. So if you haven't watched Incredibles two yet, you know, skip halfway through the the podcast, and then uh, we'll get back to you, or and, you'll get back to us. And if you make a Venn diagram of superhero movies, Disney movies, and Pixar movies. This will be right square in the center of that. All, of all three, huh? Yep. Oh, that's pretty incredible. Hey. Terrible. Yeah, it was. All right. Anyways, Incredibles 2. Uh, just off the back, what did you think? I liked it, but it could have been better. Why, did, why does there have to be a but? Because it wasn't. Well, I believe we've had this discussion before. And I said, I really thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I did like it a lot. I didn't like it better than the first movie. And therein, we'll, I can explain some of the reasons why. Okay. Essentially, I felt like this was a wasted opportunity um, because there's so much that can still happen within the, un- the Incredibles universe that the fact that they chose to focus on such a small story or a small aspect of this world especially after 14 years since Mm. the original Mm -hmm. i mean i don't know if it was on your screening but there was like a short like two minute before the movie began like reel of the cast of the movie talking about oh yeah yeah. it's been so long and all that and i was like yeah it has been quite a long time for a sequel i mean it's good to see that this isn't just an immediate cash grab like the cars movies have been Mm -hmm. but um at the same time, I felt like there was so much more that they could have done with the world of the Incredibles that it just kind of feels like maybe not a wasted opportunity, but there could have been a much bigger story told here. And maybe that's just me. And I'm actually probably sure it really is just me because it's made like the second biggest animated opening ever, I believe. I think it's the biggest animated, or, or maybe it's the now the biggest animated grossing movie in the United States, or something oh, okay. like that. That must be what it was. Yeah, it, it broke a few records, so it's definitely done good. But I just felt like it focused on too small of a story. The villain was not as compelling, um, although possibly equally justified as Syndrome, if not more, because it's probably even more personal. Um, I mean, like you know, Mister Incredible didn't end up killing. Brody or was it B- Billy? Buddy? Buddy. Buddy. I think I just did exactly the same <laughs> you did exactly thing. You did exactly the same thing that Mr. Wow. did. That's funny. That's, uh, oh wow. I wish I could take credit for that on purpose. But <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, that would have been like if, if Mr. Incredible had somehow been directly responsible for the death of Buddy's like parents and then grew up to be a psychopath. Um, but still, I felt that syndrome was justified. I didn't feel that uh, Ev- Evelyn, Evelyn, yeah, Evelyn uh, and the voice Dever, of, yeah, the actress is the one that was Catherine the, Keener. Catherine Keener, thank you. Yeah. So yeah, Evelyn Dever, which I've heard is supposed to be a play on Evil Endeavor. If you just oh, read it slightly, that makes sense. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's clever. So uh, I want to say that I. I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was just as good as the first one, and I love the first one. Um, but, and there's that but, mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't because of the story. And you're right. I think I think I I fall in the same category of uh, 
yeah, we waited 14 years and you gave us way too small of a world. Like, I understand that's what they, I, I think that's what they wanted, though. I think that's what they were like, hey, we have this rich universe, but we're going to stick with just this small story about this family because that's what The Incredibles is about. It's about the, the Parr family. Um, but I feel like you waited 14 years and you gave a superhero version of Mr. Mom. Like, yeah, that's exactly, I mean, I know that there's this, the movie is kind of split into two different parts. There's the part where Robert Parr is Mr. Mom. And there's the part where Helen Parr is doing her superheroing thing, which that's the part I loved. I loved all the, the part with the elastic girl and her figuring out what was going on and trying to bring superheroes back into the limelight. Like the stuff where, uh, Bob is, is being, uh, you know, having to t- t- take care of the kids was okay but i feel like that could have been uh a side movie you know like like jack jack's jack jack attacks or whatever that yeah short was called i never even watched it but which apparently i needed to 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 get, understand to understand the, a little bit of what yeah. happened in this movie it's it's very short it's only like five minutes but it actually yeah it, it's kind of a spoiler for incredibles 2 in a way right um, it also is the first time that you see the the mind wiping machine that Rick Dicker uses on in this movie. He uses it on Tony. Is it Tony? I think his name is Tony. Uh, Tony Reidinger. Yeah. Tony Reidinger. Yeah. Which was, <laughs> I like that subplot a little bit just because of watching Violet go through the her adolescence. <laughs> uh, so the, I mean, the voice of Tony Reidinger is actually Brad Bird's kid. Who I think was the voice of one of the well, of the little baby sea turtle in Finding Nemo. Oh, really? Wow. Huh. That's interesting. Um, so, yeah, he was the the voice of no, not the voice of any of the anything from Finding Nemo. Oh, I totally he, got it wrong. He's just Tony Reidinger. He's some ad- additional voices in the Iron Giant, which is also Brad Bird, and the Tony of Tony Reidinger in Legos: The Incredibles video game but yeah i remember jack jack was also i think in the first movie was uh was the voice of one of his kids one of brad bird's kids yeah it was somebody i can't remember who so uh in so that's what I, i i got with i got the idea that we we eventually get to see other supers i guess is the best way to put it because the Devers are trying to bring the supers back into the limelight because all the supers that we saw in the first movie died like most of them ended up perishing by the hand of uh, syndrome as or he, by capes or because of capes yes <laughs> uh, the only other supers we know of in this world is is Frozone so the idea that uh, there are still supers out there that have been in, have been re- actually retired as opposed to Bob and and froze Lucius, who went out on their, you know, off time from their normal jobs to just break up crime in a ski mask. Uh, who knows what they were doing, but they eventually uh, are called out of the shadows by the Devers to try to be the new faces of Supers after Helen is kind of, I, I guess she ended up stopped, how she stopped the fake Screenslaver. Yeah, I and you know what? I really hated that name. It's a terrible name, but then if you think about it as the fact that it's a made-up name by the real villain, like, just because she thinks supers and villains are all fucking <laughs> lame and, and useless anyways. 
that yeah i don't know like i you know what though i i really really love that like seizure inducing scene with uh, the fight with ellen and uh the screensaver <laughs> like holy crap i saw that literally i was like i saw it opening day so i got bad seats i was literally in the front row on like the far left hand side so i was watching everything at an angle and then when that scene came on, like I, my eyes just like spazzed out on me. That's funny. I mean, I have never been one to, uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, I've never had to. I've never suffered from anything like that. Uh, but when all the the flashing white and black, you know, twirls and stuff, it did start to like just hurt my. I strained my eyes more than anything else. So I, I feel for anybody that actually <laughs> suffers from uh, things like that that had to go through that and then i mean after it was after the first weekend screening when they decided oh disney was like hey you need to put up signs saying hey there's a seizure inducing scene in the middle of this movie yeah i remember that they'd said something like that and i don't remember if they toned it down or not so where it, where it wasn't so stroby but uh yeah i remember that they put out like a warning saying hey this thing could cause you to have a an attack of some sort yeah that's that seems very odd that they wouldn't take into account that while making this movie or right before putting it out yeah i I, i'd like to imagine that they had like a test screening but like they were all just like regular kids and then it you know premieres in japan and like half of their population just you know gets hospitalized just because it's japan well you know they were susceptible to that back in the pokemon days that's true That, that they did have that episode uh so what did you think of like some of the other the, the new characters they introduced? Uh, we had Bob Odenkirk playing um, the other Dever, the Dever brother, Winston Dever. Winston Dever. We had Catherine Keener playing Evelyn Dever. You had you had a new voice for Richard Dixon. What did you say his name was? Rick, I think uh, it Dickler. Was Rick, Rick Dicker. Dicker. Rick Dicker. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Banks from community well now well yeah i like that you you got him from community but most people say he's the guy from breaking bad oh that's right he was in there too yeah i never saw breaking bad i i never watched past the second season i thought it was a terrible show (laughs) uh and people can come at me now if you want whatever it's it's not that big a deal so what you got against meth man yeah uh but i also remember him from like the original beverly hills cop like i think that that's where i remember him the most from he Jeez. was the the right hand thug of the of the main bad guy. Yeah, it's been that long since I've seen it. All uh, I remember uh, is uh, um, Bridget Nielsen. Oh, that's the like, Beverly Hills Cop Two. That was part two. Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, Jonathan Banks replaced the the original actor who played who did the voice of Rick Dickler because he ended up passing away. Uh, Sophia Bush was the voice of Void, which uh, I was looking forward to because I'm a big Sophia Bush, Bush fan. She was on, I know she was originally on like uh, uh, one of those Pacific shows or the the, the like OC the, or the something OC like that, or something like that, or One Tree Hill, one of the two. I don't remember, but uh, I know her from Chicago PD. Okay. I, I like police procedurals. Uh, Phil Lamar was the voice of the Crusher, which I thought was hilarious. Phil Lamar is like a, just a really talented dude. He really is. He's done so much work. Like I knew him from Mad TV for the yeah. longest time, but you know, just looking at his voiceover work, I mean, uh, John Stewart from the Justice League cartoons, Hermes Conrad from Futurama. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's got all kinds of stuff, but uh, I mean, he's got one of the best lines in the whole movie, though, when. 
after he's come out of the screen slavers, uh, you know, hypnosis. What was and, it uncrush things? And, <laughs> well, that's his power is to te- tele- telekinetically crush things. Yeah. And I mean, you assume that it's just he's got a telekinetic power, like he can just move things with his mind. And uh, you know, after he crushes the inside of the submarine to the point where Bob can't get to the control room. He comes out of the the hypnosis and he's like, and Bob's like, "Hey, can you just like open that up so that I, you know, move this stuff out of the way so I can get to the room?" He's like, "What do you mean, uncrush it?" He says, "Well, yeah. Has anybody ever told you to unpunch something?" <laughs> and I was just like, "That's fucking hilarious." Because <laughs> yeah, that's kind of all what uh, you know, Mister Incredible does. He's just got super strength. You know, it's it's one of those things that's so stupid that the logic actually makes sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I, I guess that's just the guy's mindset. It's just he, he, he uses his mental power to just crush things. So. He's got a one-track mind. That's it. That's it. Came here to, like, crush things and chew bubblegum. And he's all out of bubblegum. Uh, let's see. Who else? We had the owl guy. Which was uh, I don't know I don't know what the guy's name was but someone utterly forgettable the yeah there was the the, the owl superhero there was the uh, the vomit or acid reflux or something like that yeah I think it was uh, reflux was his name yeah which was like, which was he's like a geriatric superhero too yeah, he was which like was super old which was like, weird well see this goes into a little bit about one of my fan theories that i've read about which is that the supers were actually a government project um which is why the government was so heavily involved with them um in the course of the movies mm-hmm. um, even right down to when they were underground they still had a government contact or handler in this case rick dicker okay um so there was this theory going around that the government somehow uh, and there's a separate theory related to maybe they discovered some kind of source of power, maybe even related to, like, uh, the Greek gods, uh, thanks to a throwaway line by Edna Mode in the first movie. Okay. And um, so they were saying that, like, oh, yeah, like, the government discovered how to make super-powered people, so they took, like, you know, high-ranking, you know, government agents, like, in, um, in uh, you know, assuming that someone like... Uh, I guess think of it from like a Mr. and Mrs. Smith situation where like Brad Pitt would be the Mr. Incredible and um, Angelina Jolie would be the Mrs. Incredible situation like that. It's, you know, now give them powers Mm -hmm. and you have, you know, the Brad Pitt version, a.k.a. Mr. Incredible is like a bull in a china shop. You know, he just knows how to punch holes through walls. Right. Uses super strength, whereas... Uh, you know his counterpart is much more uh, methodical and, and finesse and, and yeah with uh, you know like it just doesn't make a mess out of everything <laughs> so yeah, a situation like that is like well these are like highly trained individuals with obviously different skill sets and the powers seem to be kind of generated random so they just learn to work with what they get which is why you have all these different characters with different powers um and the the children that they have are a byproduct of that because up until that point uh you know it seems like people weren't born with powers this is like a new thing um and ironically kind of ties in a little bit with uh, firestarter okay and the government yeah. project was giving people like kinetic energy powers and they uh, two of those members had got together had a child and that child became a pyrokinetic kind of similar to that premise i mm-hmm. believe and I really like that theory. I liked, like, I would have liked to have seen more about the origins of the powers of the supers, 
or just uh, you know to what extreme length the government was involved or a little bit more about how Ellen and Bob got all of these is it Helen yeah Helen okay telling Ellen um, how they got the training aside from their powers because obviously the other supers in this movie didn't look like they have any training at all hmm. like these guys were just more like super fanboys and fangirls that well uh, Sophia or Void definitely was a huge fangirl um, for Elastigirl but I don't know I mean she seemed like she knew how to use her powers quite well she just was nervous at first I guess so, but uh, yeah, then you have all the other guys too, like the owl guy and uh, well, the, the reflux guy. They who... all held their own when they had to go up against, you know, Lucius and and Helen and and Bob. I suppose so, but it just it seemed like there was uh, there's more story that I feel like we're not getting either because they don't really feel like they need to explore it, or they just like, hey, we just made a kid movie with like superhero <laughs> powers, like don't take it that seriously. And I get that, but I feel like. Uh, there's more there and maybe it would be more fleshed out and give me something that I'm looking for if they did an episodic version of The Incredibles uh, but I wouldn't want them to do that if it meant degrading the quality of the animation so. I think you would degrade the quality of the animation and I think you would also your your stories your your set pieces wouldn't be as great either yeah because there's definitely some big set pieces in this because one too. like yeah like the action set pieces like the the train you know with the the motorcycle that splits into two that's fucking brilliant that's an amazing scene uh and elastigirl the- is essentially like i mean yeah her powers are to stretch like mr fantastic mm-hmm. but she was in full-on like spider-man mode in this one yeah she like- was swinging around through the city and like, <laughs> just doing like climbing up buildings i mean it was it was awesome to watch her working. It was really cool. Yeah, yeah. She was. She, I mean, she was in. Uh, she was great. Uh, you know, she was incredible. <laughs> I think. I think you take it like you take DC, DC Comics, and you take uh, a character like Plastic Man, which essentially is the same power set that uh, Elastigirl has. Maybe a little bit, probably more powerful. But I mean, I think he's he's widely re- regarded as one of the most powerful beings in the DC universe because he can survive anything. Uh, and if you give her, give the same power set to Elastigirl, yeah, she should be one of the top super beings there. And she's highly intelligent. And she she's figured highly out, intelligent, yeah. Yeah, she figured out the, the, the villain, you know, all of that, whatever was going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, like, this chick has some, like, serious, like, CIA-style training. <laughs> and I, I think uh, that's definitely hinted at in the first movie. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, kind of on that same note, I really enjoyed that they tried to use her power against her in a very similar way that they do with Mr. Fantastic in the first movie with uh, Ian Griffith, mm-hmm. in which uh, the villain sits him in a chair and basically injects them with, like, Freon or something mm-hmm. to make them super cold. And therefore, they can't stretch because their molecular structure like wouldn't be uh, fluid enough that they can do that. And I'm like, that's like straight out of the Fantastic Four right now. <laughs> and I think that's also something they, they that that's how they've battled against Plastic Man in the past. Too. Yes, yeah. they just freeze them. And I was like, well, yeah, if you got to stretch a character, make them cold. They can't stretch as much. Exactly, they just neutralize their power. It does. It definitely neutralizes their power. Uh, one of the things that we, we want to get into this the sciency pseudoscience of it of it all like like you were talking about you got two two super powered beings and they have kids so uh their first kid violent she has uh the 
invisibility force field powers, right? Yeah. Which is uh Mrs. or which is uh invisible invisible girl. girl or visible woman from the Fantastic Four and uh well regarded in the Marvel universe is one of the most powerful uh supers around. Uh the other their second child is Dash, who he is a speedster. Now, if you know anything about DC speedsters, you know, they are essentially able to um you know, hit speed of light and all kinds of stuff and whatever the plot requires. Sure. (laughs) Why not? Yeah. But, uh, third child, Jack, Jack, his power literally is anything he he can imagine. He can, at this point, he can do just about anything. And I feel like that shouldn't, it shouldn't be that it should be because that's like one step too far for someone that's still within the one generation of, of, the part or of Robert and Helen, like that should be Jack Jack or that should be Dash's or Violet's kid. That should be that powerful. Yeah. He's, he's pulling kind of a Franklin Richards where he's just going to be like, like probably I could see him being the villain of like a third movie or maybe somewhere down the line. <laughs> you know, Jack Jack's so powerful. He just becomes a villain. Yeah. Like this, like maybe even like not intentionally, he's just like so powerful. He's out of control. I mean, like, we saw as a baby, he's got laser eyes. He can, like, turn he, into, like, a little monster. He, he becomes a fire demon. He yeah. Can, he become as heavy as uh, as 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 lead. Yeah, he, he can become a multiple man. He becomes a multiple man. He can phase through matter, disappear yeah. into another parallel dimension. And yeah, that's a, that's a crazy one. Yeah, and the, the fact that uh, Edna Mode, like, figured it all out and, like, had a contingency for every single one of his powers. I'm like, over the course of one night, night of, like, babysitting him. And that's just, you know, that's a detriment. That's a. That just shows how great Edna is. Which also implies that she's much more than just a fabric designer. Like, she was heavily involved in, like, something to do with these supers because she knew way too much about how to, like, keep tabs on them. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's a whole different thing. But, uh, yeah, so in, like, Jack-Jack attack... Well, in the end of the first movie... When you, Syndrome has him. Yeah, when Syndrome has him, you see that Jack-Jack... Uh, yeah, he becomes a fire baby. He becomes heavy like lead, and he turns into the little uh, purple monster thing. I call him the Tasmanian devil. Right, but he also had the, the laser eyes in that because he shoots Syndrome, I believe. I don't think she he shoots him in that scene, but no? he, he might have. But I don't remember that part. I know that in Jack Jack Attacks, he does do that. Okay, um, and the little uh, babysitter girl. By the end of it, she's all frazzled, but she's got, like, all these different things to kind of counteract his different powers. So, like, when he sets himself on fire, she just has a a fire extinguisher ready. So she's an Edna in making? Basically, yeah. She's, like, a (laughs) pre-Edna. When, like, he starts shooting his laser vision, she just gets, like, a frying pan and, like, redirects it away. Uh It's, um... So, yeah, in this one, now, like, he's just... He just has all kinds of powers. And they're not necessarily, like, I don't know, plot reliant it's really more just like whoa he's out of control now he's doing this now well he's he's, he's a toddler with yeah. you know extra, extraordinary abilities like the idea of you know your toddler gets into everything anyways and if you take your eyes off of him for a second even a baby without powers is gonna is gonna cause havoc now you throw in powers and that's sleepless nights for for robert parr now this being 14 years removed from the original supers or supers incredibles this <laughs> movie could have been called the supers but anyway um 
Yeah, so uh, the main thing that's changed since then is that I have a, a child of my own now. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, it I, I have never related more to an on-screen character than <laughs> Bob Parr is trying to coax his kid out of hiding with the cookie. <laughs> <laughs> cookie! <Yeah. laughs> I'm like, wow, that's, I, I, I get this now. <laughs> um. Uh, let's talk about that too. So it's 14 years removed. However, the movie starts exactly where the first movie ended. Now, the idea in the first movie was that hey, we're all going to come together as a family. We're going to do this as a family. But the first, the, how this movie starts, like the 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 kids want to help, but Bob and Par- and Helen are like, no, 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 you are to stay with the baby. You need to protect each other while we take care of this. Um. Did you feel like that was a step backwards or did you feel like that was logical? To me, even though I don't have any kids, I feel like that's logical. Yes, you guys have powers. Yes, we're going to let you participate, but you're going to participate in a limited capacity. You're going to be able to you're going to help civilians. You're going to, you know, keep each other safe. You're not going to be getting into the thick of things, not until you're much older. I do feel like it was a step backwards and not just because of the whole uh, not letting the children participate aspect of it. Okay. Um it, it, I mean, that's a, that does have a small part to do with it. But there's also this weird feeling that I had where I'm like, we waited this long to pick up exactly where we left off. I would have liked it to be some kind of time jump mm-hmm. to know that things have changed. Because right. essentially nothing changed. As a matter of fact, not only did things not change, they actually, plot-wise, things were still the way they were before the resolution of the ending of the first movie and you well you come to think about it, the end of the first movie there is no like hey we love supers again like there kind of is even uh, though they take care of syndrome but we don't really because there's a little time jump there because as soon as they're done with syndrome we time jump to six months later when dash is actually on the the track team so you don't know so we're being led to assume that there was no other super heroic incidents between those time frames they just came around did their super heroic saved the world from syndrome or at least saved the city from syndrome and then um went back into hiding for six months and then the underminer reappeared mm-hmm. so then they're like all right let's super suit up again that means that for six months they've been wearing their super suits underneath their clothes on like special occasions just in case or dash ran and grabbed them real quick well that's a stretch i suppose <laughs> i mean some characters could get away with it like violet and uh you know in elastigirl uh-huh but i mean i don't know like they all had their little masks ready to go and everything and and i mean the the ending of the first movie was cool because it leads you to believe okay well you know now supers are back in the world because the threats are rising again but then at the beginning of this movie although i really enjoyed the whole underminer sequence nothing happens like he they even like the make cops it a point ups- to yeah. say he got away he like the banks were insured you actually did more, more damage yeah by trying to stop him and they're like we're just trying to help and it was like we're trying to tell you we don't want your help right like, so we still go back to well then it looks like the ending of the last movie means that nothing really happens so we spent 14 years to find out that we're still where we left off yeah and, and i agree with you that is it's it is it's almost it's a, it's a weak writing. It's it's it instead of giving us a new obstacle, they kind of went with the same obstacle. You know who did this the right way? Who's that? Kevin Smith with Clerks Two. Okay. Because the end of the first movie, he was like, "You're right. I'm wasting my life. I need to make a change. I need to do something." Okay. Movie ends. Uh, 
10 years later i think was when uh, it came the and the clerks. next one was a little bit longer than 10 years because i remember 10 uh, clerks x came out at the 10 year anniversary and then we I and think, then we like, got clerks too yeah it's okay, like five so, more years so clerks who comes out let's say like 15 years after sure. clerks and it actually like literally begins in the same black and white style because he's still going to work to the same place and he's still there 10 or 10 15 years later 10 15 years later nothing's changed except at the beginning of the movie and then you know you get like some plot progression i would have liked to have seen something like that as opposed to nothing's changed and then more nothing's changed but they're trying to change it but it still just kind of ends up like at this at the end of it we don't know if the winston dever plan actually worked of putting supers in a more positive light because Evelyn did a lot of stuff to make that not work. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there was still a lot of destruction, some like ambassadors where lives were put in danger. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, in a way, I kind of think that Evelyn proved the point by saying, look, just the fact that supers exist means that, you know, they can be manipulated for this to happen. Like, you don't even need villains. These were the heroes and they were made to act this way. So, like, let's not have supers and. I, honestly, I kind of think like she won. <laughs> kind of like how Zemo wins at the end of Civil War. Like he yeah, gets like the he Empire proved to, his point, yeah. and he like basically caused everything else to like implode on itself. So I'm like, I I don't feel like this was a satisfactory story. Well, I, mean, I I think that I and well I could be wrong because I thought the end of the first Incredibles has them as being supers or being okay again. But I feel like with uh, the end of this movie, Winston Dever uh, has been been able to make it so that supers can come out of the shadows and and be a thing again but we'll see we'll have to see if they if they make a part three i mean it made enough money that like there's no reason why they wouldn't make a sequel well the thing is you know brad bird doesn't really want to do a sequel like he didn't really want to do this one from the sounds of it i kind of i kind of feel that <laughs> but uh and and i mean who knows if disney pixar would be like oh well, i guess we can go on to the third one that without him and then you'll have a bunch of fans being like ah we don't want to watch it if Brad Bird's not attached kind of thing, but who knows? Um, my biggest, One of my biggest problems with it is that we have no resolution with the Underminer. The Underminer gets away, yep. and he's not taken care of by the end of the movie. Like, they don't catch up to him. They don't, you know, put him in jail or anything like that, which makes me believe that if there is a third movie, it's all part of a trilogy that he will be dealt with in the third movie. I guess, I mean, maybe there's like a whole, like, maybe all that money he was stealing was so that he can upgrade the mole people to, like, <laughs> get more, like, you know, become militarized. Or I mean, I don't know, like, it just, it, it just feels like, there's like, all right, well, what did we do in the last movie? Okay, well, we, we ended it with this guy and whatever he was about to do, so let's just pick it up from there and just quickly dispose of that so we can move on to what we want to tell this time around because i feel i feel and that's what i'm saying like it could have just started 14 years later like real time Mm -hmm. or some other type of time jump and just they could have just had a brief thing like a mention of like like oh yeah thanks to the underminer coming back it proved that we're still useful you know and that's it that's how you could have said to just make it something worthwhile but no it's just like whatever underminer's no big deal if we do get a third movie would you like it to have a time jump or would you like it to just be uh the very next scene from that we left off how did this one end i don't even remember now yep 
Uh, I actually don't remember either. Yeah, I was like, "What? What happened at the end?" I don't like. I said, "I don't feel like we got any real resolution." If anything, I think Evelyn just proved the point. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I I want to say I remember ending on a, on a on a plus note, but I can't I can't remember what exactly what it is. Right. I mean, we can remember how the first Incredibles ended, and that was fourteen years ago. But this one, it's, yeah. But I've watched it several times in the for, in the last fourteen years. Yeah, I've only watched this one once. Maybe that's just how one memorable the ending was that we just don't recall it. I mean, we recall things about the movie we liked, like the strobe scene and a few other things. Yeah. But then how did it end? I honestly can't tell you. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, I think, I think. It ends with Violet talking to Tony again, being like trying to set that up, set up another date. Oh but, yeah, having but, to rework it. But it might be wrong. No, I think you're right. That definitely happened. Although that also led to one of the funniest scenes in the movie for me, which was when uh, Bob Parr tried to set them up <laughs> by going to the restaurant he worked at. After he found out that that Rick had erased his memory. Yeah, that was... There were some good character moments with Violet, although she was really underused in this one. She's definitely underused. Both kids were underused. I, I love the parts with Violet, but I also hate the fact that they kind of went to an, a trope, a Hollywood trope that, that happens a lot in, in movies and TV shows of she's a bratty teenage girl that doesn't like her parents and loves to, to you know, lash out at them. Like, I, I don't know. I, I was never a teenage girl, nor do I, uh, you know have a child that's a teenage girl so i don't have to deal with these things whether or not it's it's a thing that happens a lot in real life but i just i just feel like that always shown in movies and tv shows and it's just like it, to me it gets old so something for you to look forward to <laughs> <laughs> i got about eight years for that yeah yeah so uh all right uh i think we've covered a good chunk of it i mean there's probably a lot more we could talk about with that with the movie but I'm, I'd i like it if they made a comic book series, honestly. You know what? I'm positive that there is one. I wouldn't doubt it. Disney but, Disney has a... Well, Disney has Marvel. Yeah. They got the coffers to do it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there's definitely a possibility that there is a Incredibles comic book out there. Just get some writers that are really good at putting some lore in there. Get like Alan Moore or Neil Gaiman. Oh, how dare you! <laughs> like I love Neil Gaiman. Don't get me wrong, but Alan Moore, really? You would, you would do that to us? Mark Wade wrote one of the Credibles. Oh, uh, who's books. the dude that does the, um, Cook? What's his name? Cook. Yeah. Is it Darwin it? Cook. Darwin Cook. Yes. Oh. Like his style would lend itself really well to that like 1960s yeah um, aesthetic. I guess that's true. I didn't think about that, but yeah. So. Uh, yeah, they're definitely out there. Just got to go find them from Boom Studios. I bet you they're just like little silly adventures that they go on. Like, I want some world building. That's what I'm, I'm missing some world building from something that very clearly has a rich universe in it. It clearly does. Yeah. And the fact that they keep it in a 1960s uh, mid-century modern aesthetic is very interesting, too, I think. Um, yeah, I really like that, like, kind of like the the retro future the yeah the retro i think that's a great great way of putting it retro future like the the city of tomorrow and the world's fair kind of stuff look looking futuristic stuff yeah, um, things to come yeah but okay uh let's talk about electric dreams now so 
real life, what did you think of the first episode? What did you think going into the show? I don't know what to expect. Only that it was highly regarded by people that both you and I uh, seem to trust mm-hmm. in their opinions. And um, I was just kind of open-minded. I'm like, all right, let's check this out. I'm a big sci-fi fan, as if it hasn't been clear by now. And um, <laughs> I was really excited because I like Philip K. Dick's work. So I was like, all right, let's give this a shot. And um, I was very confused by the first couple of scenes because they seemed very jarringly different. I'm like, okay, who are we following here? Like, we couldn't figure out at first who the, the main character was. And right. The, because we have a, a character who is living a dream or uh, rather um, escaping to a dream. Yeah. Having like a, like a memory or a dream generator mm-hmm. that's giving her a very, well, I guess we start off with Anna Paquin. Right. We start off with Anna Paquin. We find out that she's a, she's a cop. Uh, and there has been some major tragedy in her life where half the precinct uh, that she worked for was massacred. I don't exactly know. I don't think it said like what happened or what what not, but uh, eventually we get to a point where her spouse um, says, "Hey, there's this thing that you can do where you can take a, a vacation from your life," which I believe is also a slogan they use it in Recall for Total Recall. Something very similar to that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I thought that was interesting to throw that. And is essentially what it is is that you go you you go into a dreamlike state and you take in a vacation and if we remember from total recall the idea is that they implant memories into your mind that what would you i mean essentially like if you look back on your memory of your last trip that's all it is is a memory right so right. you have that feeling those emotions and stuff and if they implant those in there it's, how is it any different than the fact that you didn't actually go yeah so in this but in this fake dream world this vacation she is actually transported her consciousness or she imagines herself as a uh a, a businessman i don't know what terrence howard's character is but he's essentially a some type of he's the ceo of some company or co-ceo or co-founder or whatever with sam whitwer of a company that is creating a technology that's very similar to uh, it's essentially a prototype of the device that she's putting on her head yeah and he also apparently engages in vigilanteism. Yes, because they later on they drop that line of you're you're Bruce Wayneing it all around town kind of thing. <laughs> so apparently he's some kind of billionaire that goes around trying to fight crime because his wife in this history uh, was kidnapped and brutally murdered. Now the wife in the history is also the same wife that Anna Paquin has in her life. Yeah, and essentially the story is. As an audience member, we're supposed to sit here and wonder which one is the real life and which one is the the fantasy. Yep. And um, so one of the recurring themes is that Anna Paquin feels that her life is too perfect. So she starts to doubt her reality. Right. Um, very some Like there was some very heavy inception tones in here. Mm-hmm. Um, of like being in the... Uh, in the dream world and you know you start to realize your world isn't real so you want to wake up from it mm-hmm. so she essentially starts to feel like no i have a beautiful wife i like i survived this incredible tragedy like i'm alive when i shouldn't be and um they even throw in the line of like i'm a i'm a hot lesbian in a in a, in a great relationship kind of thing it's like that was a that was a plus i mean which I guess is a plus to be in a great relationship, but the fact that you have to throw in the hot lesbian thing, like as a male fantasy, because Terrence Howard is a male, like that's that was kind of weird. And that line was delivered by an Oscar winner. Yes, 
So yeah, I mean, imagine uh, Sir Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so he's he's commenting that to his partner or his therapist. I forget who it was. Like in this other world, everything is is better. Like I have my wife, I have my uh, you know my job. It, like everything is good. Like the technology is awesome. Yeah, he's a super. I think he even said that he's a yeah. super cop. Yeah, and um, but yet. In this world, in, in I guess in, in his reality, it's much more uh, like contemporary. Mm-hmm. So there's no crazy technology in the Anna Paquin side of things. There's um, self-driving there, flying cars. There's you know, cool. There's, there's those like three G projecting uh, cell phones right. and uh, all kinds of like. Which I also thought was an interesting thing. Thing in the Anna Paquin uh, reality. Reality. Thank you. Um, when she's describing it to her wife, he, she says. I mean, how, why? How is this not perfect? You know, I, I have a hot wife. I'm in this, you know, lesbian relationship. Uh, I'm a super cop, and I live in the future. And like, when you think about it, I mean, yes, if my present day is my ancestors' future, right? But you wouldn't, you don't say that I live in the future. You say I live in the present, and that stuff is in the past. But she says I live in the future. So like, to me, I was like, oh well. I mean, that like slip of the dialogue could mean that her reality is the fake. Well, and that's exactly what ends up happening. So she starts to think this is too good to be true. She even throws in the line of like the food tastes flat. Like I thought that was an interesting wording. Like how would food taste in a in a fake reality? Yeah, and that's interesting because that's actually a symptom of depression. Really? Yeah. Um, losing like your sense of taste and smell. Um, it's psychological, of course, but that's definitely very true. It's very real that you. Um, essentially, you lose your lust for life. You feel like you don't, you don't want to even bother eating. Um, sometimes you eat just to fill your stomach, just for the sensation of filling, as opposed to because something tastes good or because you know you need it to stay alive. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no joy in it. She basically didn't have any joy in, in her in in the cop life. But the- now, do you think that this is because she had? Well, I mean, at this point. I mean, I, I guess if you want to talk about it, at, at the end of the episode, you find out the Anna Paquin reality is the real reality. Yeah. And the Terrence Howard reality is the fake reality. Now, do you think that's because she didn't have any joy or she was losing joy in her real life because of this fake world that she had built? Well, it reminded me of a philosophical concept, and I forget who it can be attributed to, but I know it's got some very... Uh, heavily Buddhist uh, origins in which uh, it's su- uh, existence is defined by suffering. So kind of like in the Matrix and in Inception, um, you know, wh- when your brain decides this is not real because I'm not in pain or I'm not feeling like depression or something, um, then your body starts to reject it. And then it's essentially, I mean, in a way, in a weird way, it kind of was like being in the Matrix and her wanting to wake up, except mm-hmm. that it was the other way around. Her right. real world was actually better than the dream world, but her brain couldn't tell the difference. It just said, oh, this one seems more real. Now, do you think that the fact that her fake world was so so similar in ways that that's why her brain had a hard time depicting which one was real and which one was fake? Like, if she had, she had made up a, a world where... Uh, you know her her spouse wasn't the same in both worlds or uh, you know she hadn't ha- or his her ki- 
the Terrence Howard character hadn't had to live through some kind of major tragedy or something like that. Like if, and then there was this technology that allowed you to jump into a, 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 a fake reality and stuff like that. If her brain wouldn't have been, would have been able to like, so if instead she was a kid just, you know, on the beach running around, having a great day, a great summer day, like would, would the brain have had a problem telling which one is the real one, which one is the bad one? Well, I I think you're touching up on something that I was thinking about, too, throughout the episode, which is uh, very reminiscent of Inception, which is because the program was using her own memories Mm -hmm. to generate the dream reality. Mm -hmm. That's why she was having a hard time differentiating because, um, uh, I mean, and they even say that, like, uh, in Inception, when he says, don't use actual places uh, because your brain will, uh, you know, get lost in them. You know, like take a detail, but not take a, you know, a whole thing. Right. And in this one, you see that, you know, she she can't tell when she goes to places in both of, of the realities, you know, what is real because they're both in the same thing. Obviously, in um, what was it called? Uh, M- Lou Mitchell's Lou Mitchell's diner. Lou Mitchell's diner. Yeah, the, it's the same location, the same shop owner, just the technology looks a little different, but it's even the same food. Mm-hmm. So it's the little outside details that are causing him to, like, you know, not understand what's going on. And therefore, it causes that rift in, like, well, this has to be the reality because in the real world, things suck and there's tragedy. And in this other one, I mean, everything is perfect and like there's cool technology and I have a hot, beautiful wife that looks just like my dead wife. So like basically his subconscious, both of them were not dealing with their issues. Mm -hmm. And so this this escape just kind of overrode their entire uh, consciousness there to where he just accepted. No, like this has to the suffering is real. Therefore, I must stay where I suffer. Mm. And that's why we end up with basically Anna Paquin lobotomizing herself, pretty much like in Total Recall. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, if that's the way you believe that that ends, I believe even the director has said that that was his intention. Who, Paul Verhoeven? Yes. I mean, okay. I mean, it's definitely up to interpretation, but you gotta admit that, like, if you watch it with that mindset, everything does kind of line up. Like that the recall was in fact still a dream. Okay, well, I, I think it's interesting that you bring it up because I, I even said this when we were watching the episode. The whole uh, scene where he uh, Terrence Howard ends up having to, well, the the therapist who ends up being the person that he used to have an affair with uh, tells him, you know, you have to crush the machine because. Uh, it, it's it, you're living out a lie, and he's like, "Well, no, I have to use the machine to get out," kind of thing. Like that's the scene in Total Recall where the head of the uh, recall company comes in and says, "I'm just a representation of your way out. If you kill me, you're cutting off all your ability to leave. You're going to be stuck here." So, and that's essentially what the, that the machine is. It's a way for him to get out. It's the representation of the yeah. way for him to get out. And then if he if he steps on it and crushes it, that's that's Anna Paquin cutting off her way to get out, like symbolically. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's what happens. And then the the his her wife. I don't know if her name was Kate in the Anna Paquin world, but it was Kate in the Ter- Terrence Howard world. 
is, uh, you know, is told that she's essentially lost, you know, and she says, you know, it's, it's the, the guilt, the survivor's guilt of, her, you know, being alive when the rest of her coworkers all died and she just couldn't handle it anymore. Yeah. And that was basically, uh, exactly right. Like she felt guilty for still being alive and having a good life relatively speaking mm-hmm. so she wanted to be somewhere where she would have things, to suffer for it things made more sense yeah what do you think it was that ta- that finally set off ta- terrence howard's like understanding that he was in the fake world well he never understood that he was in the fake world he thought he was in the real world no he as soon as he he sat down at the diner and he looked at the fries which anna paquin's uh, partner in the real world kept calling fingers or whatever he looks at the fries and he goes we we call them fries here or something like that or they're not called fingers or something like that and he gets up and he and he walks back he goes to his apartment and that's where the the lady is and he's like i'm gonna just tell him i'm selling the company it doesn't matter i'm leaving like this isn't a real world like he knows by the end of that that it's not a real world but it's the and you i thought you put it a great way that the therapist a representation of his subconscious is essentially sitting there attacking him saying no this is the real world wanting him to lobotomize himself or wanting Anna Paquin to lobotomize herself yeah I mean the brain was just trying to protect its uh, its host its body I, I but see that's weird because wouldn't the, the the brain want the body to be out living like somewhere like as a vegetable she's going to just wither and die well, I mean, the technology is pretty good. Maybe they have a way to, like, keep it fresh for longer. <laughs> Maybe. Shoot it up with preservatives or something. But, uh, no, yeah, they, the whole concept is that Terrence Howard does start to realize that reality is crumbling around him. Um, even to the point where he says, um, I knew you'd be here when he gets to the apartment. And he like, yeah, he does put it together that this is probably not the real world. But the subconscious wins and convinces him otherwise. Right. So, yeah, you're right. I guess it happened at the restaurant, at the diner. Because up until then, you hadn't seen him go there in this world. Right. Only at Anna Paquin um, side of it. But then when he's there, he was like, I've been here before. And he was like, well, yeah, we come here all the time. And the shop owner knows him. And they order the usual, which is like the same burger and fries that he she gets in the future. And that's when he just starts kind of putting it together. So what I think happens is like, because all those other things, you can you can um, write up to being uh, my memories in one world are, are are being hacked or you know overlaid into the other world kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like I always order burgers here, so in my dream world, I always I always order burgers there too. The only thing that I saw was that when Anna Paquin was in the, the diner at that one point. The, the manager guy scoops up some ice and throws it into a pitcher, right? Uh, then when you see the exact same way, he does it the exact same way in the in the Terrence Howard universe, like it's it's almost carbon copy. So what I think is that, like, yes, he could have, they, they could have been either way, like, like the ice into the pitcher could have been done thousands of time in either world but the fact that, that it looked exactly carbon copy of the one that he saw in the Anapakan world would be like well that's why I saw it there first so that must be the real world if that made any sense it was like the totem that like snapped yes him. exactly yeah 
So he was just like, ah, well, since it happened here second, then that means the other world is the real world. Yeah, you could have seen that as uh, being a memory. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, yeah, so Anna Paquin just decides that, or now before that, actually, now that I think about it, um, Anna Paquin's wife keeps telling her, because and that was the biggest clue there as to how this was going to end, is that she keeps saying like I feel like I don't deserve this or I don't deserve you or right. something to that effect, and she and uh, like this came after a, a sex scene in which the two of them were, you know, having a nice moment in bed, and then it turns into a fight, right? Which I was like, oh man, that is like very realistic that's too real <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was like i think i've been there before because if it was a dream world it would have just been cigarette smokes and and cuddles <laughs> yeah not a fight <laughs> so uh, i was like man who has the energy to fight after something like that but i was like no yeah that does happen <laughs> and um maybe it's like the fact that you get to clear your brain and you can like be a little more clear and i was like oh yeah wait a minute <laughs> so um, yeah, she keeps uh, the wife keeps mentioning it's like this is the second time you've said that you feel like you don't deserve me or you don't deserve this, and she was like, yeah, well, I mean, doesn't everything seem just like a little too perfect? And the wife's like, like this is not perfect. Like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Like, there's still pain and suffering. I mean, you survived, but that doesn't mean anything's perfect. Right. But just Anna Paquin just can't cope. It was like survivor's guilt. Right. So. You know that that little escape became more and more like you know what this feels more like I'm more comfortable with my suffering because it feels like it belongs here like I have a reason to be to be suffering I think that's what it was I think it was the subconscious was actually attaching a tragedy that Anna Paquin's subconscious could latch onto right and actually be like yeah you deserve to be bummed out your wife was killed and like all this other bad stuff has happened in life and and this other world, like, you know, a bunch of your coworkers are killed, but you still have the, you know, your love, your, yeah. your, the, your wife and stuff. Like so. everything else is good, so I mean, you should still be grateful instead of you know being all like downtrodden about it. But I mean, there you go. I mean, the the subconscious chose what was easier. Okay, so going forward uh, in the episodes, what do you, how do you feel for the rest of the season? I, th- I'm intrigued. I want to check out some more. Like, I want to see. I mean, like. Like we said, Philip K. Dick's been around for a while. Um, his, I mean, not him literally anymore, but like his work. Right, his work's been around um, for a while. Yeah, so like I'm, I'm sure we're gonna see a lot of parallels and even a lot of straight up like, you know, copies of a lot of his stuff. So a lot of what we're about to watch, I'm sure, is gonna seem very derivative. But we have to remember that a lot of this stuff probably came before. It's just being adapted now. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited. I want to see some good, hardcore sci-fi, the likes of which I haven't seen on TV in a while. Ultra Carbon was really fun, and Westworld has its moments, but I feel like this is going to be more uh, up the Outer Limits, uh, Twilight Zone type. Yeah, I feel like this is a little bit more Outer Limits, Twilight Zone than, than say, Black Mirror, which you know already is very much Twilight Zone. Uh, this is maybe a little bit... M- like, whereas... Black Mirror is always like a commentary on on us as a social or as a society like like how where we're going with our tech like I feel this is a, at least just from this episode is just a little bit more uh, comment on the technology itself yeah I would say that that has a big 
uh, point in all of this. Uh, I, and so I, I would say that I am also excited to watch the rest of the season too. And I hope all of our listeners are excited to either watch it with us or at least uh, follow along as we watch it. So with all that being said, if you have anything you'd like to discuss with us, uh, you can get a hold of me on Twitter at, at Mitchipedia, G-E-R. John is also on Twitter as... I am at Magic Bollocks. The rest of the Geek Elite Radio is at Geek Elite Radio on Twitter, at Geek Elite Radio on Instagram, and Facebook.com forward slash Geek Elite Radio is our Facebook page. Check out our website, geekeliteradio.com, for archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the Geek Elite Radio Network. But until next time, this is the Geeks Watch on the Geek Elite Radio Network saying, always remember to geek, geek out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.